Welcome back to another episode of Horror Cats and Witch Hats with Izzy and Kenzie. Izzy and Katie. (laughs) (laughs) Me, myself, and I. (laughs) Pretty much. I'd just like to introduce you. That's all I'm here for is introducing. Introducing. I'll introduce you. Uh, Katie. Katie (laughs) Benini. I don't. I don't know. Uh, Thanks for joining us again. uh, I got it. Katie Michelle Geller. There you go. Katie Michelle. <laughs> That'd be nice. I wish I was as cool as her. Uh, That'd be fun. <laughs> so, to start off, we're going to apologize just right off the bat. We are recording during our unscheduled scheduling uh, recording time because we had some technical difficulties during our regular recording time. So, you might hear some background noise of children and vacuums and animals and coughing because we kind of feel like shit today so bear with us oh no and without further ado (laughs) on that happy note we are going to do our episode this week on a listener request the very first one woohoo and this movie is hush hush sweet charlotte from 1964 (laughs) <laughs> this <laughs> is another oldie uh black and white it's a good one though Long. i'm gonna slowly just introduce you to all the black and white films yeah we're gonna start old school and we're gonna work our way to the newer stuff <laughs> yeah no we're gonna mix it up yeah. uh this is classified as a psychological thriller and on one website <laughs> that i was looking at they classified classified it as a subgenre <laughs> Of psycho bitty. Oh, bitty. The word bitty. <laughs> Do you think, I think you and I heard that word a lot growing up because of our parents. Your mother particularly is the voice 100%. that I hear in my head when I hear the word Don't bitty. be a little bitty. <laughs> um, 100%. I agree. <laughs> but they define psycho bitty genre as a subgenre of horror that features a mentally unstable, dangerous, or insane woman of advanced years with a somewhat glamorous past living a life of relative wealth. Always has to be a woman that's insane. <laughs> I'm just saying, that's what I want my elder years to be classified as, psycho bitty. You know, I'm, I, I'm okay I'd being cool the crazy it. lady who came that from wealth. That lives in wealth. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'll... And still lives in comfort and wealth. Yeah, we'll be the ones hoarding cats in our rooms and stealing everyone's left slippers. Like, why not? <laughs> everyone's. It has to be the left slipper. <laughs> Just the left slipper. Yeah, people will come to visit and they'll be like, my grandmother said she can't find her slipper. And the nurse will immediately just be like, isn't Katie? Get out here. <laughs> God damn it. Fucking little psycho bitties. exactly um it was directed by robert aldrich the uh he he's known for doing the dirty dozen and the longest yard the original in uh, 74 so 10 years after this (laughs) it was oh that is like exactly 10 years wow yeah (laughs) what a switch from psycho biddies to football man it's fine the story for this was written by Henry Farrell and Lucas Heller. And I Googled it. Henry Farrell is not related to Will Farrell. And that was Bummer. the only Farrell I could think of. So Bummer. Yeah, I don't know a Heller, but uh 
maybe he's in hell having a hell of a good time. Just kidding. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, Lucas is kind of a Lucian devil kind of name. Secretly, they're just going for Lucifer in hell. <laughs> yeah, that's the kind version. That's the Bible yeah. version of Lucifer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the G-rated. <laughs> At this... Uh, yeah, you go. Okay. Uh, this movie stars the one and only Betty Davis as old Betty Charlotte. And uh, she's... <laughs> I, <laughs> I couldn't recognize her face watching this entire movie. I was like, I know this girl from somewhere. How do I know this woman from somewhere? Where is she in? What Like, what is she in that I've seen? Um, it's only the movie I've been watching since I was like three years old that I rented every time I was at fucking Blockbuster. But it's The Watcher in the Woods. She plays the uh, one of the main characters in The Watcher in the Woods. She's the mother of the daughter who disappears. And um, that movie still haunts me and I love it. <laughs> uh, I still haven't seen it, but you mentioned we'll it. We'll watch it. Yeah, you mentioned it in our intro and I've been wanting to see it. So I'm hoping they'll add it to Disney Plus soon. I doubt it. It's the weirdest Disney movie ever made, and it's the absolute scariest. So I don't know if it ever will. Moving on. So <laughs> Back Ms. to Betty. Betty Davis has 32 awards, um, including two Oscars, and 23 nominations. Uh, one of the She's awards, a badass. Yeah, <laughs> one of the awards that she won was the Academy of Science Fiction, Fantasy, and Horror Films, and it was for... Or she won the Golden Scroll in 1977 as her role in Best Supporting Actress for Burnt Offerings. Interesting. Her, I haven't seen that one, to be honest. I don't know. Her birthday is April 5th. So happy belated birthday. By Dealing my days. history horror or horror history. <laughs> Historical horror of history. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Anyways, I had that planned later, but okay. Yeah, she was. <laughs> and she has been described as being difficult to work with and prone to walking off set when things didn't go her way. But if cool. you asked Miss, <laughs> yeah, me too. Yeah, who doesn't? <laughs> it's fine. Uh, but if you ask Miss Davis, it. she says that right up until her death in 1989, she maintained she was only ever fighting for professionalism. And I could totally see that because. From what I gather reading about Miss Davis is she was very outspoken and she like really participated in the making of the movies. She wasn't just like the actor. The actress and then walk, walked off set. Yeah, she, she didn't just do her lines and then leave. She gave input. She fought for the parts the way that... It makes sense. That's that's when you actually love this, the job that you do, so... And I think she was what now we would call, like, the same idea as calling people bossy, women bossy, um, when really they're just doing their jobs. So she was just... But it was also looked down upon back in the day with that kind of stuff, because, I mean, women still don't get paid what men get paid equally. But, like, back then it was 10 times, it was a lot worse, a lot fucking worse, so... She was just ahead of her times. Yep. Way ahead. (laughs) And then we have Olivia de Havilland. Havian, did we figure out <laughs> where she's from? No. Oh, okay. Um, she plays Miriam, which is the cousin to Charlotte. Uh, and she died just last July, 2020, at the age of 104. I, I don't know that I'd want to live that long. <laughs> That's a long time. 
It's a lot to do in a lifetime, too. <laughs> well, it depends on um, how mobile you are, you know? Yeah, I guess. That's fair. Um, she won two Oscars as well. And she did play Melanie in Gone with the Wind, which is one of my mom's absolute favorite movies. The main male role in this was played by Joseph Conton, and he played Dr. Drew. And Not like... I mean, like, he's a doctor, but, like, Dr. Drew nowadays is just terrible. <laughs> Sorry. I still don't know who that is, but, uh... It's okay. Not he's applicable. A TV doctor. Doesn't matter. Not applicable to this movie, as she said. No. And the other main character that you see a lot of is played by Agnes Moorhead, and she is Velma. She plays Charlotte's one and only <laughs> companion and house cleaner maid caretaker. Keeper. Yeah, (laughs) Uh, She actually was nominated for an Oscar in this movie as her role as Best Supporting Actress, and she did win a Golden Globe. She's also best known for her role as Endora on Bewitched, which is the mother of... To Samantha. Yeah, Samantha. I could not remember her name. I was going to call her Bewitched, but I was like, that's not her name. I've never watched Bewitched, let's be honest. Um, but well actually no, that's a lie. I've seen a couple episodes. But I just knew her name was Samantha for yeah. some reason. She died in April of nineteen in nineteen forty seventy four at the age of seventy three, and that was also a part of my horror history. <laughs> yes, as we'll learn in Katie's horror history segment later, if you choose to partake in that, April's kind of a happening month. <laughs> Dude, yeah, there's a lot of people born and there's a fair amount of people that died. Anyways. So this movie got a couple of awards and nominations. And um, so the 1965 Academy Awards, it had seven nominations, including Best Supporting Actress, Best Cinematography, uh, Black and White, of course, uh, Costume Design, Set Design, Editing, Original Song, and Score. Original Score. (laughs) So it did good things. I know. Um, It's... The fact that it just got nominated for that wide set of things is pretty impressive. Yeah. Um, so in the 1965 Golden Globes, Agnes Moorhead won Best Supporting Actress, which is really cool. Uh, she did play a very good, crazy person. <laughs> yeah, she did a a good job. And she, as we'll talk about later, her role is more than just like the companion made like she brings a lot to the part like she gives it a lot of character yeah she does um so the 1965 laurel award was um betty davis was the winner of the best actress in that one and uh it also won the edgar Allan poe best motion picture in 1965 so it's just winning awards here and there (laughs) So if you think awards mean good films, this is a pretty good film. <laughs> yeah. It's got some pretty great people in it, too. So, I mean, there's that. So, the story of this movie, uh, we're going to describe it a little bit more detail than we normally do, just because it's kind of convoluted. <laughs> um, it is a twisted story it's, in multiple ways. <laughs> yeah, it's got lots of twists and turns. And... Uh, it's kind of a throwback to the storyline of the pit and the pendulum. Yeah. So keep that in mind. All right. So hush, hush, sweet Charlotte. Picture this. You're watching TV, eating popcorn, sitting on your comfortable couch. And on your screen, 
a plantation home in Louisiana, 1927 <laughs> appears. <laughs> I'm just thinking that neither of us were eating popcorn when we watched this together. <laughs> I can't. My tum-tum doesn't tolerate popcorn anymore. I'm old. What? Oh, that's so sad. It I is. want movie theater popcorn. It's really that's all I ever want. I know. It's my biggest craving of 2020. Well, let's I didn't have any movie theater popcorn. <laughs> my biggest craving is movie theater ices. <laughs> yeah, so. that. Oh, yeah. But popcorn's just not the, sort of the bonus. Yeah. But anyways. Anyways, as, back to the movie. So the opening of this movie takes place on a plantation home in Louisiana in 1927. And the story features a Southern Belle, Charlotte Hollis. And at the beginning, she has this huge plan to run away with her married lover, John Mayhew, which makes me think of Whoville. Is there a character on the Grinch named Mayhew? Yeah, it's 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 the mayor. Oh, I thought it was the lady he proposed to. I thought that was her last name. Okay, no. <laughs> gotcha. She's she's a Martha May Huvier. There you go. <laughs> That's why. The Martha May Huvier. Okay. So anyway, they have this big plan in 1927 to run away and elope together while the Hollis family mansion is hosting this big party event. Charlotte's father finds out about this whole plan because John Mayhew's wife, Jewel, shows up at his door uh, telling him this whole plan that she found out from somebody else somehow. So the dad convinces John Mayhew, it's not worth it. You can't make it work. You need to break up with my daughter. And so at the party of all times, (laughs) he goes up to Charlotte and is like, yeah, I don't love you. This isn't going to work. You were just a nice side piece. Have a nice day. So naturally, she's broken. Her her breakdown, I'm not going to lie, kind of made me giggle. And I know that sounds really bad, but the acting was just pretty funny. <laughs> uh, Anyways. And then you see John Mayhew get axed by some mysterious Cleavered. person. Cleavered. 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 No, not- cleavered. No cleavage. Not cleavage. Cleavage. <laughs> they didn't to death. They didn't like a lot of cleavage back then. The uh, um, porn version of this is he gets cleavage to death, and yeah, that's <laughs> that's a way to go. <laughs> so he gets cleavered. Um, mm. They cut off his hand and his head, and then Charlotte comes walking out to the party, and she's covered in his blood. But they can't find the head in the hand. So I guess they were like, not enough evidence. She goes free. Magic. Yeah, I was going to say magically the weapon, the head and the hand all go missing. Yes. Convenient. So 37 years later, putting it in what would have been present day 60s. uh, Charlotte is this crazy old bitty, as we discussed. (laughs) Crazy old lady. Who is basically seen as the town murderer who just got off scotch free? <laughs> she's got no, she was rich. Yeah, okay. she's got no friends. Uh, she just lives with her maid Velma, like we talked about. Uh, but mm-hmm. she gets an eviction notice, so she calls her cousin Miriam, whom her family had taken in as a kid. It's her only last kin left, I believe. So. Yes, um, for help. But Miriam is like shows up and she's like, "No, you got to move out here. I'll help." she hires the fucking moving people she's like no worry i got i got moving people they're helping us right now they're packing stuff up it was great and poor charlotte uh just is not having a good time uh Mm -mm. suddenly all these like spooky things start happening to charlotte the 
cleaver, not the X or the cleavage, the cleaver. Cleaver. <laughs> pops up out of nowhere, like when she turns a corner. Uh, other spooky things happen, and then her ex-lover's head, like, comes rolling down the stairs, and she just, like, passes out. Yeah. Uh, so- solid faint, but face plants more like it. <laughs> Velma <laughs> finds out that Miriam has been feeding her, like, antipsychotic or psychotic drugs or something. She's been drugging her to make her have hallucinations and stuff. Yep. And when she tries to save Charlotte... Miriam pushes her down the stairs and kills her. Then you da, f- da, da, da. Yeah. <laughs> and then you find out Miriam is in cahoots with Dr. Drew uh, because they are trying to steal Charlotte's fortune. Yep. So Charlotte comes downstairs in some drugged out hallucination state. Miriam and Dr. Drew make her think that she shot and killed Dr. Drew. Miriam pretends to be on her side, helps her bury... <laughs> quote unquote <laughs> finger quotes i have cat ass in my face the way he hit you with his tail it's just i couldn't i couldn't i'm sorry <laughs> uh so miriam pretends to help her bury finger quote wink wink stomp stomp the body when they show back up at the house dr drew who was of course not really dead is standing at the top of the stairs all bloody and shot looking Charlotte muddy like they buried him and stuff yeah Charlotte just completely breaks psychotically um they take her to bed but then she wakes up and she walks to her balcony and wouldn't you know it overhears Miriam and Dr. Drew celebrating prematurely about way prematurely they just put her to bed I don't know why you would think that you won yeah they they were celebrating prematurely because they were like oh yeah now we'll definitely get her locked up we'll get her money it'll be great Charlotte was like, bitch, please. And then pushes this giant ceramic pot flower like thing. Like flower pot, yeah. Off giant the balcony one. while they are like midst embrace and kills them both. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it crushes them. It's hilarious. <laughs> it looks terrible. <laughs> and like what, what a coincidence that it just killed both of them. But uh. So it ends with her, like, leaving the house finally, but everyone is still saying, oh, she's the murderer. Now she has three dead bodies underneath her ta- or underneath her hand. <laughs> exactly. And then there's, like, this miscellaneous side plot that Velma had ended up hiring an insurance investigator from England who was super fascinated with the original, act, uh, not axe, cleaver murder of the lover uh, to kind of start investigating. And he goes and talks to the widowed Widowed. wife jewel and she gives him an envelope to only be opened at her death yep and coincidence turns out (laughs) basically i don't think you read the letter right they don't show you don't get a read letter you don't get a yeah they don't show it you don't see it so you only can assume but general assumption is that it's the confession that she, Ju- yeah, yeah, that Jewel was the one who killed her husband all those years ago. I, lo- that I Miriam- love that he was jokingly like, what if this is just the her telling her that she killed him? Ha ha ha. Yeah, the investigator pulls up like right as Charlotte's walking away um, and is like, oh, wouldn't that be silly if Jewel was actually the murderer? <laughs> but uh, <laughs> yeah, and then Jewel was being blackmailed all those years by miriam who had actually witnessed the murder 
but what you never find out is what happened to the head in the hand. Uh, so that's why we assumed at the beginning that she takes the head in the hand. <laughs> right. Um, as that's what I would think she's blackmailing Jewel with. Or yeah. she buried it. I don't know. You don't actually find out. They did have a cemetery in the backyard of the house. So, you know, there's that's convenient. <laughs> well, if you bury a body over another dead body, the hounds can't find it. Murder oh. tip. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. We clearly watch too much true crime. <clears throat> but that's basically the story of Hush Hush Sweet Charlotte. So, like yeah. we said, it's very pit in the pendulum of like murderers. A lovers. Yeah. And lover and a and a and a person that's engaged with a family member tries to kill the other family member. And it's a doctor and <laughs> But this one this one wasn't about love. This one it was just about money and wanting and wanting her wealth. So Yeah. Um Yeah. It was a quite a twisty turny. It's pretty long. It's it's too Two like hours and fifteen minutes or something. And it's a lot. It's a lot of, longer we were expecting. It's a lot of talking, but yeah. it's it's a good it's a good one off. Go watch it movie. Yeah. So it is actually based off a short story by the writer William. Is that his name? No, I'm thinking of Will Ferrell. No. It's not Will Ferrell. <laughs> it's Henry it is Ferrell. Not Will. It is Henry Ferrell. <laughs> Sorry, it's based off a short story written by Henry Ferrell called whatever happened to cousin charlotte and he years prior had also written a novel called whatever happened to baby jane which was also made into a movie and also this guy loses things a lot and (laughs) what do you mean he loses things whatever happened to cousin charlotte whatever happened to baby jane (laughs) he's just curious he asks lots of questions and later we'll it's the find same out. Question, just two different people. <laughs> there's a novel called "Whatever Happened to the Director Albright, Robert Albright." Yeah. Uh, so somebody was really fascinated with those titles, but <laughs> the "Whatever Happened to Baby Jane" gets turned into a movie as well. It also stars Betty Davis. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess what Joe happened? Crawford. Oh, well. Was Farrell got offered to make this into a movie? The "Whatever Happened to Cousin Charlotte." He was like, yeah, sure. They didn't end up publishing the short story until way later um, in 2013 when it showed up in a newer edition of Whatever Happened to Baby Jane. So that was interesting. Um, But he showed up and was like, we're going to make this into a movie. And Betty Davis was like, "Uh, we need to rename this because it sounds like a sequel to Whatever Happened to Baby Jane, which I was already in. She likes to edit things because she likes to be actually a part of the filming and the movie and everything because she's a badass and it makes sense because it wouldn't (laughs) like her the storylines wouldn't have matched so they ended up renaming it to hush hush sweet charlotte which was the title of the song specially written for this movie Mm -hmm. and as caitlin was saying in the whatever happened to baby jane betty davis starred alongside joan crawford and originally, Robert wanted to bring both of them back for a Hush Hush Sweet Charlotte. Right. But, but um, you take apparently it. they don't like each other. <laughs> yes. Apparently there's like this famous feud <laughs> between them. Yep. It, uh, it, yeah, they just, they, they wanted to out better each other. 
in every way and <laughs> yeah, it sounds like from what it reads i don't know if there was more there's probably there's always more to the story right but from what it reads is they were both kind of jealous of the attention the other one got if they ever got it so joan crawford specifically was upset with betty davis for the attention she got for their movie whatever happened to baby jane Mm-hmm. And so when she was offered this part, uh, Betty Davis was like walking around to the crew, I guess, and making them pick sides, like me or her. You have to choose the biggest ultimatum there is. I'm like, what an <laughs> awkward position to put people in. <laughs> For real, do you you have do you have to like me or her? You you gotta tell me now. It's very Mean Girls. Yeah, yeah. Um, they probably walked up to each other and went, "Oh my God, I love your skirt. It's so fetch." And they walk away. That skirt is the ugliest fucking skirt I've ever seen. It's the ugliest effing skirt I've ever seen. Um, right. Yeah, basically, that was probably how it went. <laughs> exactly. Verbatim. Don't even question it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure there was also one time when Betty Davis walked up to the guy who played Dr. Drew and said, what day is it? And he said, May 3rd, March 3rd. I fucked that up. <laughs> I saw where you're going with it though i tried <laughs> um uh, but back to the story anyways uh crawford believed that because betty davis was basically picked as like being liked more um she thinks that uh she was this is the reason that she wasn't picked up from the airport and on the last day of shooting she was left behind while on site while everybody went back to the hotel yeah so Crawford basically just came into this project thinking, uh, fuck Betty Davis and poor me. Because uh, like she said, when she pulled up to the airport, nobody was there to pick her up. And she immediately was like, Betty Davis made sure nobody was here. <laughs> it's and always then, Betty Davis. Okay. And then one day after shooting, uh, Joan Crawford went and took a nap while they were on site in Louisiana. And when she woke up, everybody was gone. They had gone back to the hotel. <laughs> just left her <laughs> there she, she was there uh, so after that they they filmed some of this on site at a plantation in louisiana and then they finished the rest of it in hollywood so joan crawford did all the scenes in louisiana went back to hollywood feigned sick for like a couple of months or weeks or something <laughs> I'm sick. I can't. Why are there so many Mean Girl references right now? <laughs> this is a Mean Girl story. I love it. And then anyways, Robert Albrecht said, boo, you whore, and flew to Switzerland. <laughs> and that's where he found Olivia. Olivia. And he wooed her into the story. So she had to go back to Louisiana and film all those scenes in- again. And because they didn't have time to, like, reset, she was using her own wardrobe for the film. Yeah, changing sizes doesn't take it, or it's not that easy. Yeah, because everything (laughs) was fit for Joan Crawford. So it was kind of a hassle, but they rolled with the punches, and they got it out. Clearly, she has some really good wardrobe, because a lot of those outfits are pretty nice. I mean, it's convenient that it was matched to the timeline, so it wasn't like an awkward period piece. (laughs) Yeah, it was based in 64, so, you know, that's lucky. <laughs> I guess Betty Davis and Olivia, we're not going to say her last name so we can't pronounce it right, they both kind of after this movie were like, yeah, we're not too fond of it. <laughs> um, yeah, they didn't like their scripts very much. So 
Olivia is quoted as saying that she didn't think much of the final film uh, because she said she was reverse typecasted and she found Miriam, the cousin to Charlotte that she plays, to be a bland villain with generic motive. That's unfortunate. And she says, I wasn't thrilled with the script. I definitely didn't like my part. I was reverse typecast, being asked to be an unsympathetic villain. It wasn't what people expected of me. It wasn't really what I wanted to do. And I guess Betty Davis just thought the uh, whole movie was kind of too gory, I guess. Like the part where the head rolls down the stairs, she thought was just like, oh, me, oh, my. So, <laughs> it was the mannequin head was pretty funny. Not going to lie. Yeah. <laughs> And then, uh, just because we were talking about how they had to use, or they were using Olivia's wardrobe, at the very mm-hmm. beginning, and I think at some point later in the mansion, you see a painting, which is referred to as Young Charlotte. Um, it's actually a real painting of Betty Davis as from a movie she had done previously called Jezebel. Yeah. I would keep that painting. It's a, I'd be that person that's like, this is of me. You're never going to use it again. I'm going to take this offset. It's mine. <laughs> Just like walk away. They'd be like, I don't see your name on it. And I'd be like, that's my fucking face. Bitch, look at the face. Look at my face. Look at the face. Look back at my face. It's I'm wondering face. if she actually got to keep it or if like Warner Bros. kept it in like one of their I, storage facilities. I like thinking that she got to keep it because it's a better story. Fair enough. Because <laughs> I'd want to be that person, to be honest. So, moving on, the song, Hush Hush Sweet Charlotte, as we said, was specifically written for this film, and it was Oscar-nominated, as Katie mentioned earlier, and it lost the Oscar to none other than Chim Chim Cheree from Mary Poppins. (laughs) Chim Chiminy, Chim Chiminy, Chim Chim Cheree. Oh, I just said that wrong. It's fine. (laughs) I wouldn't have known. It's okay. But the fact that we can quote the chim chim cherry song but yeah not hush hush sweet charlotte tells you like how big of it was well also mary poppins was a kids movie so it was more liked probably by more people while hush hush was more uh on the thriller side but hush hush sweet charlotte the song was number eight on the american pop charts oh i yeah you're right i can't tell you don't know but um, (laughs) when you listen which is funny because if you listen to like pop charts are today compared to what uh, Hush Hush Sweet Charlotte is. Pop has changed wildly over the years. Yeah, incredibly. Um, Also, just to go back, I did not realize Mary Poppins came out that long ago. 1964 came out the same exact year. And I find it interesting that because Mary Poppins is in color, um, they chose specifically to do Hush Hush Sweet Charlotte in black and white. Like, it was a creative choice. Yeah, that's really interesting. And maybe it wasn't such a big choice back then because black and white movies were more common. But, like, now it's very rare for someone to do a black and white. Maybe uh, maybe budget. Maybe. I, I don't know. I think part of it, too, was just the gore because it's harder to show that. Yeah, it's, easy. it's easier to hide certain things and you can make something look like a darker color rather than using an actual and it's less in your face appalling so yeah kind of waters it down (laughs) gives you the pg-13 rating of the gore (laughs) graze the line a little bit 
Yeah. <laughs> Punny. Bazinga. The song that you hear on the radio is performed by Patty Page. It was also performed by Al Martino. And that is the version you hear in the closing credits. There's also yep. an instrumental version by Frank Duvall Orchestra. And Frank Duvall is the one who wrote the music for it, not the lyrics, but the music. Oh, okay. It also is like the movie's theme song. Um, it's mm -hmm. the tune for Charlotte's Music Box. It gets played on the harpsichord when I think she sings it at one point and she's playing it. Yeah. And then in her uh, drugged stupor, I think she hears it again because John, her lover, had written that song specifically for her. Yeah. So it's a good song. And as you hear at the beginning of this episode, there is a creepy, twisted version of it that some children sing. Which It's always creepier when children do it. It's, it's always creepier it's when children do it. Children are creepy. What can I say? Mm -hmm. Especially when they're babies and their arms like don't even reach over their head like a little T-Rex. It's weird. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> and then like a month later, all of a sudden they reach and I'm like, where did the limb come from? <laughs> but basically, in addition to being a lot like The Pit and the Pendulum, this movie is a lot like Lizzie Borden's true crime case where she allegedly axed. Allegedly. <laughs> I love the Lizzie Borden story. It's so dark, but I love it. So if you don't know Lizzie Borden, she way back in the day was accused of axe murdering her family. Her father and her mother. I guess they couldn't find enough evidence or something. So she was deemed innocent and then ended up living much like Charlotte, a recluse in her home plagued by the town as being judged a murderer yeah children even came to her house and would throw things at her house and stuff exactly like the beginning of charlotte <laughs> yeah so um, there there's that little like rhyme with lizzie borden the the <clears throat> and i always loved this thing but it's lizzie borden took an axe and gave her her mother 40 wax when she had saw what she had done she gave her father 41 and that was like one of those little jump rope skipping songs that children yeah. sing it's very twisted much like ring around the rosy <laughs> I so bad. <laughs> Very twisted. Um, in Hush Hush Sweet Charlotte, they do alter the lyrics. So in the theme song, it says, Hush Hush Sweet Charlotte, Charlotte, don't you cry. Hush Hush Sweet Charlotte, he'll love you till he dies. The children. Oh, precious. <laughs> tender. The children sing chop chop sweet charlotte chop chop till he's dead chop chop sweet charlotte chop off his hand and head to meet your lover you ran chop chop now everyone understands just why you went to meet your love chop chop to chop off his head and hand da, 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 da. <laughs> this thought just occurred to me do you think they knew like when they were looking for motive do you think they knew that she was like the ditched mistress of this guy or do you think that whole side storyline was covered up by the wife because she didn't want to get embarrassed because that might be one reason uh, they let it off because they were like what's your motive because really all they had was that bloody dress yeah i don't know i think it was under wraps but who knows <laughs> <laughs> hmm that that is a thought a thought to think a thought to think <laughs> <laughs> I that sounded like a Dr. Seuss. A thought to think, I think I thought. 
Oh, it's solid. I love it. That's like a fox in the socks, Dr. Seuss rhyme. So we're we're good at this. <laughs> speaking of Dr. Seuss, uh, the inside scenes, as we said, were shot on a sound. Whoa, that just tripped me up. Shot on a sound sound stage. Sound stage. <laughs> shot on a shot on stage. a sound stage. Bring out my Sean Connery. That was really hard to say at the same time you did, and I said it right, and you didn't. Let's do a round robin. <laughs> By the oh, time no. I get to sound stage, you have to say shot. Shot on okay. a shound, Sh- shound shot. Stage. <laughs> I can't do it. Anyways. I couldn't even start. I got confused. <laughs> cool. So anyways, it was shot on a sound stage in Hollywood. And then the scenes that you Snaps see. Like, outs- <laughs> <laughs> and the scenes you see outside of the Hollis Mansion, they were all shot on location at the uh, the Haumus ha- ha- House Plantation in Louisiana. I probably butchered that. I apologize now. <laughs> uh, so the what we are going to pronounce is the Haumus because it's H-O-U, much like house. So Haumus yeah, house. Yeah, Haumus house. Um, it makes me want to say Haumus. But the la- <laughs> so Haumus is the last name of the people who I think built the house originally. Uh, that makes sense. They took that name from the Native American tribe that initially owned the land that they essentially stole the land from. I mean, they bought it, but not what it should have been bought for, Um, which were the, I think it was the Hauma tribe or Huma tribe, something like that. So that's kind of... I like how you just stop. You're like, "Hmm," something like that. If that tells you anything about how that plantation story goes. (laughs) Um, So the Hauma's house is a historical plantation in Baton Rouge, and we're going to kind of throwback to our antebellum episode if you haven't listened to that where we talk about how plantation histories are often watered down (laughs) they're terribly one-sided exactly so this is that uh in antebellum The Evergreen Plantation has gone through great lengths to include the storylines and narratives of the slaves that were there. The Halmas House just completely doesn't care. No, you don't you don't get any of it. (laughs) So it is titled a historical sugarcane plantation and their website It's always sugarcane. It's always sugarcane. Well, no, there's cotton. It's but good try. Well at least at least the ones that we we've talked about were um sugar canes. Yes. Yes. Uh, it's probably because that's like a Louisiana thing. Uh, I guess that would make sense. But the website for the Hamas House wosts. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Okay. It's okay. a day. It's a day. Inhale, exhale. <sighs> okay. So the website for the Hamas House boasts gardens, dining, luxurious cottages to mimic 1800 plantation life at least the white version of it and Mm -hmm. they host events like uh, brides oh my god like Like weddings weddings. (laughs) and things like that yeah so uh, they speak nothing of slaves or how they used to live there Um, there's no None of the cabins or anything like that are still present. They were torn down throughout the many years of renovations this house has gone through. Uh, When I read the history section from this website, 
five paragraphs in, this is the only throwback to slavery that I could find. Um, so this is all a quote pulled from the site. The Hamas estate. Five paragraphs in. Yes, five, five paragraphs. <laughs> so the Hamas estate had a frontage of 35 acres on the Mississippi River, comprising the Donaldson, Clark, and Conway tracks, and contained over 12,000 acres of the finest quality of cultivable land, and a workforce of over 550 slaves, and was without exception the finest property possessed by a single proprietor in America. So basically, they said, "Wow, this location is beautiful." People of slaves lived here. And look at how great this house is. Yeah, pretty much. You know, because 550 slaves isn't... Eh, that, nah, that's a small number, right? And they... Normal. They just, like, blow past the slavery part and say, but look at how great the owner was. <laughs> look how big the house is. Yeah. it. Oh, uh, that's so frustrating. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, that was just the beginning of it. So I went to the nationalparkservice.gov to see what they had to say about the history of the Hamas house. And they said, and I quote, the Hamas house is also historically important because under owner John Burnside in the 1850s and 60s, it was the center of the largest slave holding in Louisiana with over 800 slaves. It represented the largest economic unit in the prevailing slave economy of the state's pre-Civil War period. Yeah, no big deal. Only 800 slaves. It's known as the largest slave holding. You'd, like, really? You'd think if you were going to give the history of a place, those are important Th- those facts. Those are big facts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it's not, like, should, um, it's not like, oh, yeah, this was just another one of those places where slavery happened. And then you talk about that. Like, there, like, were, there were some slaves. No, this is, this is fucking huge. Yeah. Um, there's a whole, there's probably like a shit ton of stories about how that place was managed, how they oh, yeah. kept all those slaves under wraps. And like, I just, whoa, whoa. Yeah. The cemetery that is unmarked, Lord knows. I'm sure there's a bunch of people who have tried to trace their history, but can't because it stopped at that place and they aren't willing to do the research to share. So, yep. but I keep going because I was like, you know what? They don't want to know more. Yeah. (laughs) The National Park Service says, yeah, trash place, uh, historically. Um, (laughs) I'm astounded that they don't bother to mention slavery. What do the people who've been there have to say? So I went to TripAdvisor, and they really get laid into (laughs) for disregarding that entire aspect of their history. Way back when, I didn't write the date of this particular... uh, comment that somebody had made yeah Yeah. but they said basically that any visitor who isn't there just to see a pretty garden is screwed because that's what they talk about they talk about just the white like you're not going to get any actual like history of the slaves or any any of the actual full history yes basically so somebody representing the hummus estate went on and commented to this this is kind of a long quote, but I think it's so important. So I'm going to share it. It's incredibly it. important. And I cut out the parts. I'll tell you when. The So the representative went on and said, I am so sorry that you were disappointed in not seeing the slave cabins that were once a part of this plantation. They were relocated in 1858 over 150 years ago, and each was given with a parcel of land to the former slave families when they were freed by John Burnside. Prior to the Civil War, 
War. Sorry. When they were freed by John Burnside prior to the Civil War. That's a comma, not a period. All right. Punctuation. It is true that the slaves built the mansion in 1810 through 1812, but only the mansion and two garçonneries remain to this day. Our tour concentrates on the lifestyles of the great sugarcane barons, their words, not mine, of this plantation. Our brochures, marketing efforts, and website all clearly say this. Please judge us on what we say we offer and not what one thinks we should portray. There are other local sites that detail the lives of the slave families, and there are others who actually have slave cabins. And then they go on to list some local historical sites of where you could get that history. But there's more to this, but I'm going to pause here for just a second. They, as far as I can read, completely missed the point of what these comments are about. Nobody yeah. cares that they can't see the cabins. Nobody wants to particularly walk through them. They Just want, include the damn history. They want you to acknowledge that that quote unquote great sugarcane baron is only a great sugarcane baron because of the people who suffered to make him that way. Like that's all people wanted. <laughs> So then they go on to say the story of slavery is a very important subject, but we do not feel that it is the primary story of the Haumas house. Without the cabins or village, what do we portray as it pertains to slavery? There are many other sites, so I have detailed above, that can give the story better than us because they have the architectural artifacts. It's still a huge part of the storyline. They did everything around that plantation. They built that entire house. So I don't know about you but i'd like to know about them and and how many it like how many men built that and what it took and how they were treated because i'm sure it was very poorly (laughs) but uh and then they they finish it out by saying hamas house gives the story of the wealthy sugar baron and only hamas house gives that story who cares you can give that story but give the whole story you're whitewashing that story you guys are assholes Literally whitewashing. Um, And then they say, we do not feel we need to be redundant and tell a story that others offer and do it very well. Please remember, we do not say that we tell the story of slavery. When they say we don't need to be redundant and tell this story, that's like a slap in the face of saying like, what a boring history we all know already. But that's, that's not what it is. Like Evergreen Plantation, they... You know, like we talked about, they did their research. They have specific stories from, uh, like, they writ out, wrote out the narratives of slaves during that time. And each story is unique because each person and their experiences are unique. But they yeah. just refuse to acknowledge that. We are not the only ones to have commented on this. Basically, I think after this, they probably got tore into a bunch for that comment. There's an article that I found called the Ch- Changing the Conversation About Violence, Slavery, and Plantation Life. And I believe it was written by a history professor of some sort. Um, but they comment and quote that same thing uh, as like, how dare you say that? <laughs> That's not what they say. That They should have said that. But all the newer comments that say stuff like, you're not giving the true story. They stopped commenting on them. So they must have gotten in yeah. trouble. Um, but in that article, they do say, from our perspective, they glossed over the violence and bondage that underpinned the nostalgic luxury being peddled. Because they do. They say, wow, come and live like an 1800 white person. It's great. Look yeah. at how pretty everything is. 
Isn't it wonderful? Yeah. Um, and then it goes on. It seems that plantation tourism helps us forget that living like a sugar baron means countless others live like tortured animals to produce the crash cop. Cash crop. crop. Yes. <laughs> crash All <right>. cop. <laughs> All these alliterations are not my friends. <laughs> I'm surprised I'm doing it well. Normally I'm the one that's fucking up. But uh, yeah, so uh, cash crop. Um, they also I, say it's likened, uh, likened staying on a plantation to staying at Auschwitz, which is striking and true in the regard of it. But Yeah, so like imagine doing a summer camp at Auschwitz and the bunk beds that they stayed in. It's fucked up, right? Yeah. In 2019, I didn't follow up on this to see if it actually happened or not, but in 2019, the Hamas House was elected as one of the sites to store these statues of confederate soldiers that were taken down from other places um which to me is so fucking fitting because <laughs> why not put these statues of confederate soldiers in a place where all you're gonna do is say wow look at these great white men on horses yeah moving on see all this rich nice gardens like <laughs> they yeah, would and they're not <laughs> one of the comments on TripAdvisor. This person was clearly outraged because they were like, here's the real fucking history. And they went in and detailed all the owners and like what shitbags they were. On a brighter note, Betty I, Davis. I don't know that it's brighter. I don't know that it's brighter. But... Oh, this is brighter. Betty Davis sued Warner Brothers in the 1930s. Yeah, but she lost. Um, But she started. She did get, she did get better shit out of it. She was standing up for the women and making, she was putting her foot down for the women and slowly. It's. It wasn't just women. She, but because of this lawsuit, it started this whole catalyst or catalysm. I don't know. This she was the catalyst, which ended up in the law that said production companies have to limit the contract of their actors to seven years, which blows my mind that they were making people stay beyond that <laughs> if they yeah. didn't want to. But so for well, so, uh, go ahead. I was gonna say so her, for her contract, it was set for fifty two weeks, and then to be renewed for another 50, 52 weeks at the whim of Warner Brothers. So Warner Brothers could just be like, yeah, yeah, we'll take you again, it's fine, and just reassign her immediately. But, so. <laughs> so Betty Davis, I guess, didn't like working for Warner Bros. She didn't feel like she was getting parts that did her like due diligence or not due diligence. That's a, not yeah. the right term. But she didn't feel like she was getting portrayed. They were they were mediocre. Properly. So she, in the middle of her contract, took a role uh, in Britain that Warner Brothers did not accept, um, which was a breach in her contract. So I'm not entirely sure if Warner Brothers sued her for breaching contract or if she sued Warner Brothers because they were like, yeah, you can't do that part. And she was like, fuck you. I like the idea that she sued them. Me but too. But I'm sure there's multiple articles out there that say both. Um. But as Katie said, she did lose, but she did end up getting better pay and they put her in better roles, um, probably kind of just to smooth over that whole thing. Uh, they did an episode of a TV show called Feud, where I guess they go over like famous feuds about huh. this whole thing. And they also include Olivia de Havilland's case because years after Betty, she sued them for the same thing because... They kept delaying her contract. They'd put her on pause for like a couple months and then they'd make her work it back. So she was just never not contracted. So they'd, so they'd pause the contract and then 
bring her back and then however long that pause was they're like oh but you need to make that up by the way exactly so like her contract for the shit that we stopped you still have to make up (laughs) it's like going to verizon and saying yeah i'd like to pause my service and then when you get it back or turned back on they're like yeah you still need to pay for that time (laughs) you're like oh cool thanks but uh she did win her case actually and after that i believe was when the law because it became precedent um so they couldn't the the limit of the contracts have to be seven years exactly and i believe in that episode of feud olivia was portrayed by Catherine zeta jones maybe or somebody of equal stature Catherine zeta jones she dips beneath lasers sorry that's a workaholics reference and uh it's just good time in my head (laughs) (laughs) what a place to be thanks i know it's crazy in here (laughs) uh Betty Davis, as we talked about earlier, she was very outspoken um, and she really liked challenging roles. So Mm -hmm. she has actually, in some circles, I don't know if this is worldwide, she's considered to be one of the first female villains during a time when women were meant to be just pretty. And her first female villain role is of Mildred W. Somerset in Of Human Bondage. I tried to Google if that was true. because I can't imagine that a 1934 movie was the first time you saw a female villain. But I guess it depends on your definition of villain. Right. Um, so I couldn't confirm. But what I did find was an article that talked about the rise of female villains and kind of how it's changed over time. And I just thought it was interesting. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of the movies we've seen, the female villains are v- pictured like the psycho biddies. Um Yeah. They're typically psychotic, scorned women or mentally disturbed in some way, like Pit and Pendulum. Unstable. This one, uh, not Mercy. uh, Misty? No. Misty? No. Um, What is that book called? Misery. Yes, thank you. (laughs) You're welcome. You said Misty and I I instantly lost it and I was like, what the fuck? (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah, and misery, those kind of things. Um, they were either that or they were the spoiled rich type, so mean girls. Um, and they are also pictured... Oh, what's the other spoiled rich one? Uh, with Sarah Michelle Gellar. Cruel Intentions. Uh, th- yeah. Got it. Um, <laughs> or they're the femme fatale, like Sharon Stone and Basic Instinct, or... Yep. Barbara Stanwyck in Double Indemnity. But basically, that's kind of the idea of the female villain. And it isn't until recently that we started seeing females playing villains akin to male villains, I guess, uh, where they're just like, they're actually evil. It's not that they were pushed that way and they were broken um, or they're just spoiled or whatever you want to say about rich women in villain shows, Mm -hmm. but they are just legitimately evil. Like Hela in... I think that's her name, right? Hela? Okay. Yeah, it's it's Hela. She's the goddess of the underworld in Norse mythology. Um, the She's in Thor Ragnarok, right? Maleficent. She's very... Those movies show, like, the opposite side of her. Mm-hmm. Um, Reagan. Those kind of things. Those, like, truly evil female villains. Reagan, Reagan from The Exorcist. Yes. Just so everyone knows. Thank Not you. everybody knows her just by her name. Uh, but... Yeah. This concludes my notes on this movie. <laughs> it's you, a good movie, though. Yeah. It's long. It's good. What was your favorite 
murder. Um, hands down, the two getting crushed at the end by the big flower pot because it was fucking hilarious and they didn't even look injured. They were just laying on the ground. Um, mine was oh, no. hands down, <laughs> pun intended, when his hand gets cleaved off. <laughs> the, fir- the first death? Because his hand and his head. They do like a close-up of his hand stub and there's no blood. Like it looks like it's, he it's got that it. rubber. It, it's it looks like the rubber thing that you buy at a spirit that would like hang off your tree outside. Yeah, you'd think it <laughs> was Halloween. those like lightsaber cleave cleavers. <laughs> um, because there's no blood <laughs> at all. Um, a lightsaber cleaver. That's awesome. <laughs> you haven't seen those? It's the bread knife cutters. It's bread cutters, but it like toasts the bread while it cuts it. Uh, I have seen that's that. That's the closest thing to a lightsaber that I could think of in real world. Um. In this galaxy, I mean, you, anyways. You could just say it. Because, <laughs> <laughs> you know, in a galaxy far, far away. I was going to say. <laughs> they could cut off things and just cauterize it immediately. But, yeah, that was my favorite death because it was so silly. Yeah, I, yeah. Depressing because he gets axed and who wants to die that way? And imagine how many strokes it took for her to cut off his head. Because, you know, he was still... Yeah, because a cleaver, a cleaver, it was a big cleaver, but it was not a big enough cleaver to take it off in one swipe. Because, you know, There's he no was way. still alive when that was happening. Um because the hand wouldn't have bled out fast enough. So she right. kept chopping and chopping and chopping. Chopping. She just kept whacking, man. And whacking. And he was probably dead by the time it was she a man. completely <laughs> decapitated it. Because who wants to leave a nearly headless husband hanging around? Then you get nearly headless Nick and you get haunted by it. Well, and, it's, and, and then he shows you his stub and pulls his head off. <laughs> well, and then you just feel bad for the guy because he can't join the headless hunt. So yeah, you just got to take it all out off. Every year. Yeah. All off or none at all. Just That's let him join. Just I'm let saying. him join the gig. The one thing that I think was lacking, um, the lack of cats around this old bitty mansion. Yeah, for real. She lives alone. She's old. Oh, old woman alone. No man. Just with her best friend. Tons in of... High, in giant house. There's tons Lots of... space. Tons of field that's not being used around the house. Like, it's no longer a working mansion or anything like sure, that. Sure, there's mice in that field. Yeah. <laughs> I just picture... On their porch, just rows and rows of cat food, canned cat food, that all the stray kitties come and eat. It would end up looking like uh, the cat lady in, throwback to our second episode, Jeepers Creepers, the first one, where she's like, don't tell them about my cats, because she has like 72 in her tiny little house. Basically, but these are all just stray cats (laughs) that come and eat the food and leave. (laughs) But yeah, that's what I think was lacking in this movie, personally. It needs more cats. That's our notes about the movie. And now we're going to do our uh, This Month in Horror History. So if this is where you choose to cut off, um, make sure you follow, subscribe, horror underscore cats underscore witch hats, email us your reviews, tell us something you want to see. And without further ado, This Month in Horror History. So I, uh, as we talked about, I kind of like when real life rolls into media when we were talking about the horror history movie scene true crime is very interesting so turns out that nothing that was going on in real world is in this movie so i still took still want to talk about some things that were horrifically happening in 1964 um side note in the month of april it is the second (laughs) most common month for births of serial killers so basically, you're going to be a serial killer or you're going to be an actor. Yeah. That's, that's how this is going to end up. Basically. Uh, so there were 38 
documented, just the ones we know about, serial killers were born in the month of April. Blows my mind. Hot damn. 38. Um, of course, that's, we don't know. That's a lot of serial killers. We don't document the birthdays of their victims because we're morbid as fuck and we just yeah. immortalize <laughs> them. But um, in addition to being born this in the month of April, in 1964, the Boston Strangler, Albert, just Albert de Salvo, was captured. So that's good news. Horrific because he killed 13 women. Um, their names, Anna Slessers, Mary Mullen, Nina Nichols, Helen Blake, Ida Erga, Jane Sullivan, Sophie Clark, Patricia Bissett, Mary Brown, Beverly Sammons, Evelyn Corman, Joan Graff, and Mary Sullivan. He gets captured so- in 64. His trial happened a few years later. Um, interesting note, they think that he had a partner because some of the murders were a little bit different, uh, but they never caught that partner and i don't think he ever actually comes out and says yeah i had help i think he claims full responsibility Hmm. for the murders also in 1964 the warren commission had to spend a year delving into the background of lee harvey oswald as a follow-up investigation to the assassination of president john f kennedy i watch a true crime like mini series kind of thing it's called buzzfeed unsolved and it's on hulu it's really entertaining i really enjoy it um but these two guys basically get together it's kind of like a podcast a visual podcast it's again mini series but they dive into the this the john f kennedy murder and i didn't realize that security fucked up hard (laughs) like yeah this it's fairly well known that they just really dropped the ball that day yeah, they didn't. They were like, they were going through the the tour, like the the route, and they were like, "Hmm, there's a lot of fucking windows here." Well, we don't have enough people to search them all, so we're just not going to search any of these guys. I think it was one of those instances where they just thought it hasn't happened yet. It's not going to happen today. We'll be okay. Um, and then it fucking happens. Yeah, but now, of course, that's absolutely not the case for any president. Yeah. But yeah, I just, it would really suck to have to spend a year like diving into the seedy lives of these people. It's really, that, that murder though is, it, that, there's a lot to it. It's really weird. Anyways. Also in 1964, the most powerful earthquake in U.S. history occurred with a magnitude of 9.2 in South Central Alaska. I dealt with my very first earthquake in 2020. I was not prepared. I was not excited. It was a 5.7 earthquake. I've never dealt with an earthquake in my life. I was panicking. I was freaking out. We were on air in the studio, which is on like a sky bridge in between two buildings. So the entire floor was shaking. It sounded like a freight truck was coming through the goddamn building. And my intern is just chilling. All I heard was your intern is the one to have in a time of crisis. (laughs) Yeah, he was chill as shit. It was great. Um, additionally, Nelson Mandela and seven others were sentenced on June 12th to a life uh, of imprisonment in South Africa. And finally, a riot during a soccer match between Peru and Argentina ends with the loss of 300 fans dead. Now I'm going to throw it to you for actual horror-related history. Yeah, so we're going to go through... Um, I, I like to do the bir- uh, birthdays of this month, deaths of this month, and horror movies that were released in this month. And it all has to do with people that were in horror-themed genre things. Um, 
So there's a lot of really big names in April, which is why I say you're either a serial killer or you're an actor that's born in April. Because <laughs> uh, quick names that I'm not going to go into a lot of detail are with are Alec Baldwin, Marlon Brando, Heath Ledger, Rip, we love you and miss you, uh, Robert Downey Jr., Betty Davis, who just happened to uh, you know be in the movie we were doing, Kirsten Stewart, Abigail Breslin, Seth Rogen, Emma Watson, James Franco. Of course, here's Johnny himself, Jack Nicholson, uh, Tim Curry, who is a magical man and has done so many things, um, Kirsten Dunst, and our own Shannon Doherty, who is Prue from Charmed. Beautiful woman. Love her dearly. There are three Buffy stars this month, which I think is great. The one and only Sarah Michelle Gellar, a.k.a. Buffy the Vampire Slayer, most beautiful woman ever. She's been in a lot of horror movies, and she does love the, the horror genre. Um she was in Scream 2. She was in I don't know how uh, I know what you did last summer, Scooby Doo 1 and 2, the uh, the the, re- the the live action remake. And she was also in The Grudge 1 and 2. The Grudge still to this day, to this day is like one of the only movies that fucks with me. I mean, I don't like The Grudge. To be fair, she was in like the first 2 minutes of Grudge 2, but she's still heavily associated with that. Yes. Um Emma Emma Caulfield, uh, who is Anya and Brandon Nicholas, or <laughs> Brandon Nicholas, Nicholas Brandon, who is um, Xander. So I didn't know until I saw that, because uh, I was trying to figure out. I didn't realize Nicholas Brandon had a twin. First off, so I was trying to figure out. He has a twin. Yeah, he has a twin, and he plays <laughs> news to me Xander in some of the episodes, like the one where there's two of them. That's his twin. Oh shit! That's to, insane. I was trying to figure out which one was Kevin Lynch in Criminal Minds. And when I tried to Google that, um, what I came across, and I had no idea. This is a year old. I just found this out. Um, In February 2020, Nicholas Brendan was sentenced to serve three years probation and complete a 52-week domestic violence course along with 20 hours of community service uh, because he grabbed and violently pulled his girlfriend by the hair at a bar at a hotel in downtown Palm Springs in October of 2017. No idea that that happened. So I had no idea. Vision of him is very down. I, I just <laughs> wanted him to be like Xander. I know he had a lot of problems, but I just, I just, and not like not saying Xander was a great character in itself, but he was sweet in certain times. <laughs> Xander, as a character, has some issues as well. But we understand that he battled with addiction and depression but mm-hmm. his wife or girlfriend or whoever it was uh, she, it was his girlfriend when she took the stand she had some truly terrifying abuse stories of being with him and that's just uh, you can't that's that's sad you can't be like you can't separate the character and the actor from that kind of stuff yeah and it's really upsetting that he like, three years is a long time to be on probation, of course, but only 20 hours of community service. Like, he should probably have done jail time, and if he weren't rich and white, he probably would have. Yeah. yeah. Horrifying, to say the least. Yeah. 
Well, let's get back to the happier stuff on birthdays. Happy this month. birthday. <laughs> happy, happy birthday. Francis Ford Coppola, who directed the films of Bram Stoker's Dracula, Dementia 13, and The Terror. Patricia Arquette was also born in uh, April. She is known from her TV series of Medium, but she also starred in Nightmare on 13. Or Nightmare on 13. Oh, my God. There it is. <laughs> Nightmare on Elm Street 3, Dream Warriors. She was also in Stigma. And uh, she was kissing Kate Barlow in Holes. I love, I love that. I love. Um, also, Daisy Ridley, who is best known for her breakout role of Rey in the new Star Wars. Uh, she was born in April, but apparently she was in a movie called Scrawl. I have not seen it. And uh, most recently, she's in Chaos Walking, which is in theaters right now. Maybe. I, I don't know what movies are in theaters anymore, to be honest. Sean Bean, who played Boromir in Lord of the Rings, was also born. He's in Silent Hill, which, in the remake of Silent Hill, which is a wonderful wonderful movie that we're going to talk about because it has really cool creatures in it david bradley who plays argus filch you know going back to our harry potter joke earlier <laughs> and he's also in game of thrones but i just i like him as argus filch in harry potter uh then we have edgar wright who is the writer and director of things like Shaun of the dead hot fuzz and the world's end i'm not sure why hot fuzz turned into five six five six six hot but... five six five six six <clears throat> Um, but those movies are awesome. I love them. Shaun of the Dead is hilarious. Uh, the one and only most beautiful woman who did, who was in the uh, 1976 remake of King Kong and also in the most recent American Horror Story series, who plays a badass witch, uh, Jessica Lange. I love her dearly. I think she's wonderful. Um, she's a beautiful human. And of course, hopefully you know this. If you don't know this, I'm sorry. But they're coming to get you, Barbara. Uh, Judith O'Day, who starred in Night of the Living Dead, was born in a April, and she is a very iconic and well-known for that movie in the horror industry. Saturn note, death days. People that died in April. Death days. <laughs> but... da, 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 death days. Okay. Happy, happy <laughs> death day. No, that's not right. No, that's really sad. Um, depressing, depressing death day. <laughs> <laughs> Silent screen star Conrad Veet, who starred in the film's cabinet of Dr. Caligari and The Man Who Laughs, passed away at the age of 50. Geoffrey Lewis, The Haunted World of El Superbisto, Wicked Little Things, and The Devil's Reject. Don't know how um, really he fast. Was. He's wonderful. Uh, he is the dad of one of the kidnapped women in The Devil's Rejects. Uh, he's in Rob Zombie's movies because that's also what The Haunted World of El Superbisto is. Uh, Rob Zombie. Kevin Peter Hall is a 7-2 actor who portrayed many creatures in films such as Prophecy, Predator, Franchise. He was in the Predator Franchise. Um, he passed away at the age of 35 from AIDS that he got through a blood transfusion. He was just really big and could play very nice big monsters, which is kind of cool. Uh, Joey Ramone, lead singer of the Ramones, in case that name didn't give you a clue, passed away <laughs> at the age of 49, also very young. Yeah. Why is that important? Uh, well, because a lot of his his music is included in horror movies, which includes a House, House of a Thousand Corpses, Final Destination 3, Idle Hands, and he also does the title song for Pet Cemetery. Bram Stoker, who wrote the one and only Dracula, passed away at the age of 64. Alfred Hitchcock passed away at the age of 80, and as we said earlier, Agnes Moorhead died in April as well. Who was uh, Velma in Hush Hush Sweet Charlotte. That quick recap thus concludes this week's episode of Horror Cats and Witch Hats. 
Bum, 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 bum. So thanks for joining. <laughs> Let's get this over with. If you want to follow us on Instagram, find us at it's horror. Oh, find us at horror underscore cats underscore witch hats. That is the same for our Facebook, or you could just do at horror cats witch hats all one word, which is also very similar to our Gmail, which is. Horror cats, witch hats, all one word at gmail.com. Please send us your cat photos and a little description. We'd love to include them on our Instagram. Kitties. I love, we love kitties. Send us reviews of this movie or previous movies. We'll include them in future episodes instead of maybe listing 15 names of birthdays. Tell us uh, what movies you you want us to talk about, you want us to watch. Tell us what you think that we should be watching. And we will be doing some listener requests for the next few episodes. So I'm yeah. pretty excited to get into those. Um, honestly, Me they're too. ones I haven't seen yet. So that'll be fun. So follow <laughs> us, like, subscribe, whatever you do, wherever you're listening to this podcast. Uh, rate us if Pet you want. Pet your cat for us. Yes. Meow. <laughs>